Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Often mentioned to share, to discuss, to teach, and to sing about is significant in our daily lives because His grace is a reason why we are all sustained. Everything exists because of God. And everything is sustained because of our God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. I like that phrase, were created by him, and for him. You see, we are not created for our own glory. We are created for God's glory. And all the things that we do in life is for his purpose. And we are not our own, especially as Christians today. We've been bought and we've been redeemed and, and we've been purchased back. And as we think about our sustainer, how we must glorify him and acknowledge him every single day of our lives. And and our lives today is consisting and also is sustained by our gracious Lord because of his loving care and because of his loving guidance. And without God, nothing would exist. And John 1, 3, the Bible says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the reason why we are in every way blessed and have gained so much in our lifetime is because His grace has sustained us, and His grace we don't deserve. As we have shared before, grace is something that we receive that we don't deserve. And furthermore, let me add to the definition that grace is free, God's people say. And thank God, grace is free. Grace cannot be earned, and nor does it require work. It is freely given. It is a gift. Notice the scripture with me in Romans 11, verse 6. And if by grace, it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. If it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What the writer is saying, grace cannot be mixed with works. It's either works or it's either grace. And you cannot combine those two together. And it's either free or it's either earned. As you think about your existence, it is freely given today. I mean, uh, salvation is free, but let's think about the beginning of our existence and how we were born. I mean, we did not work to come into this world, did we? And you did not earn any merits to be created. And uh, you are your own witness to the great gift of God. And I was born July 1st, 1981. By the way, that's my birthday. Write that down. Write down on your notes right there. July 1st, 1981. But I was born on July 1st, 1981. And, you know, I didn't earn anything to, you know, be born into this world. I didn't work to be here. But God has given me a life. And it has been graciously given. It has been freely given. And that is your life today as well. And we are our own witness 
of the gracious gift of God. And when it's free, it's always fair. More than fair, to be honest. To further on, if it's free, then there's nothing to complain about. The society today is always crying out, it's unfair, it's unfair, and I want my fair share. And all this undermining, uh, uh, I believe all this is, is undermining the grace of God and uplifting the covetousness of man, the fleshly greed of man. And I believe this is Satan's work. An origin of sin, envy, and covetousness is found in the Garden of Eden. And that's what Eve thought in thinking that he could, she could be like God in taking of the fruit. And she was envious of God, and she was covetous of what God, who God was. And she ignored the grace of God. And we could do the same, and that's what Satan tempts us with. And to say that it is not fair for you not, for you not to have that, it is not fair for you to just have this. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, here's a downfall of Satan. Who was once called Lucifer. The Bible says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. You know what? There are three angels in the Bible that are mentioned with names. Number one is Michael, his archangel. And Gabriel is the messenger, and uh, we see that Gabriel always brings a message to the people, God's message. And then also we have Lucifer. Now, many people kind of wonder what Lucifer's role was, but uh, uh, I think in every way that he had uh, maybe uh, in charge of uh, 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 praising the Lord and also uh, singing to God and, and maybe holding a choir of angels in doing that because he had a, 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 a musical instrument built in him and he was a very beautiful we- uh, uh, being. And, and uh, I believe he was one of the top three uh, angels that God has created and uh, uh, Michael being one of them and also Gabriel and then Lucifer. But Lucifer... How did he fall? He fell by pride. And not only that, he was covetous of whose throne? God's throne. I mean, what could you ask for more? I mean, he was right next to God and probably... Uh, uh, giving praise and glorifying the Lord. And I mean, he was uh, 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 one of the uh, top, I guess you could say, generals or archangels among uh, all the beautiful creatures that God created up in heaven. And uh, what could you ask for more? And he says, I want that throne. He was envious. He was covetous. I think somewhere along the way, Satan said, it's not fair. But his existence came to be because of who? Because of God. Because of Almighty. Now, did Satan, you know, with his endeavor, and he says, I want that throne, I want to be above God, did he gain anything? No. He lost the more. Someone has once said, people who are out to find fault seldom find anything else. People who are... Out to find maybe more in their lives or maybe unfairness in their lives, I believe they seldom find anything else. 
you know, this is a sinful issue of Satan and that it has in every way uh, uh, creeped in uh, into the society. But not only that, within churches and within Christianity in saying that our lives are not fair, but we must go back and worshiping our Savior and our God who has freely given us all things. And we need to get back in acknowledging the grace of God that our life is not in any way a merit, but it is freely given by our God. And let us always remind ourselves how it's always fair because it is freely given. And what Satan wants to do within the church and within Christianity is to go back to that Garden of Eden and just like Adam and Eve and saying it's not fair. And as we refer to the Garden in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, I believe this was a garden of grace. You know, God created the heaven and the earth in six literal days. And on the seventh day, he rested for creation. And Genesis chapter 2 gives us knowledge that our God put Adam, created after his own image, in, in a specific garden, and which is called the Garden of Eden. And that region is called Eden. And then God put a garden there and then well watered and and the garden had all that man needed, to be honest, more than enough. And the word Eden means pleasure. Pleasure. God gave man all the pleasure, not sinful, but, uh, 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 but all the pleasure that man needed that he could ever wish in his life. And we know how the story ends in the garden and man, uh, man falls into sin and and that he undermines God's grace, he ignores God's grace, and he abuses God's grace. And, and I believe we do the same. We soon forget God's provision of grace as well. And from this garden of grace, we can learn and know the grace of God that is so sufficient in our lives. And, and we uh, dare not need to say that it's not fair. No, it's always fair, and that God is always sovereign, and that God in every way has freely given us so much more than we could expect. And we need to praise and be grateful to our God. And I hope this message helps us to do that. I'd like to share with you three provisions that God provided for Adam and Eve that we should also take note in our daily lives. First of all, let's think about the fact that God's provision was in the substances. God's provision is substance. Yes, things are things, but when they are provided by God, it's, it's very good to take notice of the provider. Of the provider. And uh, I often, uh, in every way, uh, tell my children when they receive something, they have to say what? Thank you. Now, they are thankful for what they have received, but they need to acknowledge who has given those gifts or maybe uh, 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 thanks to them. And, uh, and they need to recognize the provider. And that's the same thing with our Christian walk today. And uh, as much as we are grateful for things, and, 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 and we must acknowledge that, that we do have things, but let's also acknowledge more greatly that God has provided these substances for us. So there are two provisions of substance that we must take note in the garden. First of all, the provision of food. 
the provision of food. In verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. You know, every tree of the garden you may freely eat. God created man. God gave life to man. And God gave him a garden to dwell in. And God also gave him food to meet his diet and his necessities. And the provision of food we sometimes could overlook because maybe we have it every single day. But it's by God's grace that we have food. Statistics reveal that there is a great increase in Americans throwing away food. Back in 1990, it was 24 million tons. Just a couple, a few years back, 2012, it revealed that it's over 40 million tons of food that Americans are throwing away every single year. We're truly a blessed nation, and we also have more than enough. We do enjoy the 80, 80% of prosperity in this world, as we are only maybe 20% of the population of this world. You know, how in simplicity we must acknowledge His grace. I don't know about you, I, I do uh, have burden for the poor, and I do have for those who are on welfare, and, and uh, I wish many families are not in any way... Uh, have some hardship and, and have some uh, difficulties in life. And, and uh, many of our families are broken up. And, and some of our just, you know, uh, single mom family and single parent family. And, and by the way, you know, uh, you know uh, people are kind of concerned about poverty in this country. But it all goes back to uh, uh, the uh, sanctity and, uh, 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 and the, uh, uh, the guidance of the home. And if, if divorce were not so prevalent, I think there'll be less poverty. And uh, I think uh, uh, they'll be able to bring some more stability within the home and, and provide for the family. And, uh, but I'm just simply saying in America, even though we see some poverty within this nation, many of them uh, are blessed to even to eat three meals a day still. How grateful they must be for that. You know, there are nations who are just starving and there are these migrants who are just, you know, jumping into ship, just going by faith, you could say, and hoping that they could land somewhere and in a prosperous uh, 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 country or maybe a country that would just take them in, just like Europe or maybe other Asian countries in Southeast Asia. And uh, many of them are stranded in boats and many of them are drowning and dying because they're lacking food in their country. But in America, we were saying it's unfair. We need to have our own share and and uh, we need to have more. I don't know about you. I think America needs a revival of gratitude once again. We need a revival of the grace of God once again. I know this is just talking about the physical, but we must acknowledge them as such. And, and knowing the grace of God and the provision of God in our lives, let us never complain. Let us always be grateful for what we have in our lifetime, especially maybe in the area of food. You know, every time we eat, every time we have a meal, remember His grace. Oh, God warned the Israelites. This is a lengthy passage, but let us look at it together. Go to your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's not on the screen this morning. It's a very lengthy passage, and, and uh, I didn't feel like it's, uh, it would be appropriate to put on the screen in too many verses. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, look at verse 7, and we're going uh, to read down to verse 18. 
But look at it with me. Look at the context of it all. And, and God is reminding the Israelites before they get into the promised land and warning them and what is to come and, and what will be the temptation in verse 7. And the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, and land of wheat and barley and vines, and fig trees and pomegranates, land of oil, olive, and honey. Know, uh, know therefore, the Bible says, and I'm, I'm sorry, in, in, uh, uh, in verse 9, a land of wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, Land whose stones are iron, and of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. In verse 10. When thou hast eaten and are, what? Full. Then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments, and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest thou hast eaten and are full. You're blessed. You have all the necessities met, and has built goodly houses. You have your homes, you have your luxury, and dwelt therein. And when thou heard, and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiply, and all thou hast is multiply, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which thou brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fire servants and scorpions and draught where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy father knew not, and he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou said in thine heart, not even with your mouth, in your heart, my power and the might of mine hand has gotten me this way. And thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, and he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy father as it is this day. Question for you this morning, how is your heart? Are you saying like the Israelites, my might has given me all this power. My work, my diligence, my sacrifice in, our, in my career, in my business, I've gained all these things. As soon as you do that, my friend, you'll forget God. And when you forget God, there will be a chastisement. There will be judgment. And what happens when we forget his gracious provision? We have false and idolatrous worship in verse 19. And it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. You know, uh, we don't have gods of stones and gods of gold and gods of silver. But we have a god of green paper. It's called money. And we idolize that. And we covet that. And we also covet pleasure. We rise up, drink, eat, and be merry. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that this is, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians, that this is idolatry. He's sharing it to the New Testament Christian. 
who has been delivered out of false gods and false worship of silver and gold and statues. And now you have another idolatrous worship in your life, and that is called pleasure. And ladies and gentlemen, we could worship pleasure more than our God. And we could have idolatrous worship in America. And we are greatly sinning against the Lord. And many have forgotten God. And Pew Research revealed recently that in the last past seven years that Christianity went down seven points, and I'm sorry, eight points, and, and it used to be 78% of Americans would say, yes, I'm Christians now. It's only 70%. In Psalm 32, verse 12, Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And ladies and gentlemen, let us pray for America. Let us pray that God will give us revival and God will give salvation to these people so that they will remember their God who has blessed them. And ladies and gentlemen, God says that here in Psalms that he had chosen for his own inheritance. That means what we have and what we have received today, it's his inheritance. We have received it by his grace. Let us never remember, let us never forget his gracious provision in substance, in things like food. Secondly, let it be the provision of fellowship. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And all the husbands say, amen. All come on, husband. All the husbands say, amen. All right, let's encourage our wives today. God saw that this was good as well. It is not good that man should be alone. God gave Adam Eve, woman, and God gave Adam fellowship. In relation to Yemen, every relationship and fellowship is given by God. Every time we take memory, or I'm sorry, we make memory with each other, every time we love, we give and share, every time we laugh and enjoy this life, remember that God has graciously given those people around you, your children, your parents, your, your brothers and sisters, and, and the Christians, Christian family like this one here, and, and also especially our spouse. The Word of God gives us a special commandment concerning the fellowship that we have as Christians in Hebrews 10, verse 25, Now forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. You see, next to the family, this gathering is a wonderful provision of God's grace. And who would have known that we would share our lives together and get to know each other? I mean, it's because of God's grace that we are all all here together this morning, and I would never have known you unless it was by the grace of God that God has brought you here at Bible Baptist Church. You would just be a stranger at 7-Eleven just walking by, or maybe at the gas station or at the marketplace, but I know you, and we are able to share our lives together, and that's what fellowship means, and, and that word in the Greek koinonia, I share it with you in the greeting in the bulletin, and that it just doesn't mean it's sharing interests of one another, but sharing our lives together, and giving, and contributing to each other, and we're able to have that because God has graciously brought us together to be a church. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, let us be grateful for this wonderful fellowship that we have. Well, not only that, but let's be grateful for our spouses as we think about this context. It's talking about Adam and Eve. 
you know, God has given that wonderful wife to you, and God has given that wonderful husband to you. Be faithful to each other and love each other and encourage and strengthen each other. And by the way, thank God for children, but those children will not be unless you two fell in love together. You know, uh, I know the principle of loving our children is great. I mentioned this before. But the Bible often reminds us more about loving our spouse. I think that's the problem with many parents. Their love for their children exceeds their love for their spouse. Now, there's nothing wrong with loving children, but how can you say that love of God should in, never in any way partial? It should not be respect or a person. It should in every way sacrificial and giving toward each other as much as you do to your children, do it to your spouse. The Bible says that as husbands, that we need to love our wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. God didn't give that commandment to our children. Nothing like that. But our husbands have issues and problems with that. God knows that. So God says, love your wives. Sacrifice. And ladies, submit yourself to your own husbands. And love your husband. Reverence your husband. And these commandments are given because God has given those relationships to us. And we need to be good stewards of our marriage. Good, be a good steward of your wife. Be a good steward of your husband. I remember when we got married, uh, my wife always gives in more and, and saying I love you. And I need to say it more. And uh, in the beginning, you know, uh, uh, to be honest, I grew up uh, more in a militant type of love. <laughs> My mom was a little bit more stronger, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, she's, she's a very strong woman, and, and I think I shared with you last week as well. And, uh, uh, but my wife, uh, she's more of the affectionate type, and I remember uh, talking on the cell phone, we, you know, recently got, you know, uh, married, and then she said to me once when I got home, she said, I think it'd be wonderful to say, I love you before we hang up the phone. I said, okay, maybe on Valentine's Day in my, in my, in my mind, and uh, maybe just on birthdays or Christmas. And she's saying, every time. I said, all right. <laughs> and uh, I said, really? <laughs> and uh, why? <laughs> I know, don't you know I love you? <laughs> she said, and then this is what she said. She said, it might be the last time. Really? So it's going to remind us that we're going to die <laughs> every time we say we love you? <laughs> no, but in every sense, I, I, I know what she was saying. And uh, she wants to just, re, re, just remind ourselves all the time to say I love you. And, uh, and by the way, you know, as we love our God, I think it's good for us to say I love, I love you to our God. Amen. And uh, why be partial with our spouse? And if you say you love God, according to First John chapter 5, then uh, you need to love the people that you see. 
around you in the same way, especially your spouse, I believe. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, let us really treasure the fellowship. Secondly, I've got to move on. God's provision is spiritual. God's provision in the spiritual. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know, God not only provided the physical, but the spiritual. We know the very famous verse in Matthew six thirty three: But seek ye first the kingdom of God and, this, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I believe that God has given provision of the Garden of Eden, not just to bring food and not just to bring the physical need, and necessity for uh, Adam and Eve, but also a place, a dwelling place where God could visit man. And we'll see that later on, that God could fellowship with man and that God in every way could walk with man. And the spiritual is always a priority for our God. Yes, all the things that we have received and substances are wonderful, but those are the secondary. The primary is to walk with our God and to enjoy our fellowship with our God and, and to concentrate on the spiritual aspect, aspect of our lives. And that's why Christ said, For seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So what provision of the spiritual God gives? First of all, notice the spiritual law. The spiritual law in verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. But in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You know, the first spiritual law to man, don't take of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, some think that the law is bad, but that is not so. The law is holy and spiritual, the Bible says. It's not It's not that the law is bad, but we are evil and that we are carnal and that we are sinners. In Romans chapter 7, verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So when Paul, or Saul, met with the law, he realized he came short. The law is spiritual, the law is holy, but he realized the law convicted him, and the law pointed to him and saying that he was guilty, and that he was unspiritual, that he was dead, that he was carnal, that he was sold under sin. You see, for sinners, looking at the law, it is not good. Why? Because it convicts their heart. That's why they don't want the law. They don't want the commandments of the Lord. And they don't want to see what reality is in comparison and who God is. And they don't want salvation. But as Christians, thank God that we have been graciously provided with salvation. And we have met the end of the law, who is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And who has given us salvation. And Paul writes again in Romans chapter 7, verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh is the law of sin. So even as saved, uh, uh, born again, uh, Christian, Paul says, I have a temptation around me, but now I have a wonderful privilege of serving my God in his law and obeying it and following after the spiritual, which is good. And as we think about this scripture, ladies and gentlemen, do not ever take the commandments of God to be a burden, but it is a blessing to receive them and to do them and to obey our Savior, God's people say. And what a great privilege not to follow after carnality and sinful attitudes and sinful habits in our lives, but, but we, could, we are transformed to be uh, 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 like Christ and to follow after our Savior and to obey the commandments of our Father. 
Oh, didn't God promise the Israelites that the law will be written in their hearts? In Jeremiah 31, verse 33, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, right in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And just like so, God has written his law within our heart. Jesus Christ, a lawgiver, is within us. And when preaching comes, when teaching comes, when the commandments of God come and the law of God comes, we say, Amen. Why? Because it is not just written in pages as we see it before us, but it's written in our hearts, and we agree and say, Lord, you are right. This is the way we're going to go. We're going to live spiritual. We're going to be living for you. That's the testimony of a born-again believer. When a person always fighting it, a person just looks at it and just maybe saying, I respect the word of God and I know it's God's word, but has trouble obeying it. They might have to explore to see if they're truly born again. And look at the law as it is, and look at your own soul as a sinner. And ladies and gentlemen, the grace of God is sufficient to deliver you from sin, and, and he wants to write his law within your hearts too. And you need to be born again this morning if you have not been saved. Oh, in the beginning, there was a great harmony of the spiritual law and the spiritual man. There was not a burden for Adam. This was not a restraining order for Adam. When he heard the commandment of God not to eat of the fruit of uh, uh, the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, he said, great, Lord. I'm glad you gave me that. It wasn't like, oh, Lord, why? He didn't say, like, oh, man, there's a burden. Why not? Why can't I just take of this tree and then why can't I eat it? And, uh, you know, uh, he wasn't like that at all. It was a great harmony of the spiritual man and the spiritual law. And the Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Happy is he. A Christian who is happy in the Lord and joyful in the Lord, they're in harmony with the law of God, with the commandments of the Lord. You know, the Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Christ said it very clearly. And ladies and gentlemen, as we think about the scripture here, and let us remind ourselves that the law of God, the spiritual law that God has given us, is a wonderful, gracious gift that we could be more like him and that we could be surrendered and that we could follow after his wonderful direction. So with that, not only that, we have the spiritual walk in Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And God walked in the garden. Ah, what a wonderful thing that was. I'm sure in every way Adam and Eve enjoyed that. I don't think this was probably the first time God came to commune with man after the fall of man. Maybe God visited Adam and Eve often every single day. And as we look into this verse, the Bible says the voice of the Lord walking. Now, how can the voice of the Lord, how can a voice walk? Well, I believe it's the word of God walking. Who is the word of God? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I believe, came down in the Garden of Eden and walked with Adam and Eve. And ladies and gentlemen, what a, what a privilege that God is not in some garden today, but is in our hearts. That Jesus Christ, his spirit is within our hearts and that we could walk, walk with him everywhere we go. 
You go to school, you could walk with him. And uh, you go to work, you could walk with him. You go home, you could walk with him. You go to church, you could walk with him. Every you, everywhere you go, God can walk with you. What a great, wonderful, gracious gift that God has given us. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, we need to come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share we, as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And what a wonderful, gracious God that, that we have today that he walks with us. Do not ever complain about his presence. It's by God's grace that we have that. Number three, God's provision of salvation. In chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We know that Adam and Eve sins against the Lord. They both take of the forbidden fruit. Even with his rebellion, God provides grace. He graciously provides salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and let's take notice in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For by one man's offense, debt reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was promised in the Garden of Eden. Jesus Christ prayed in another uh, garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, over the sins that he will bear on the cross. And, and uh, not only that, Jesus Christ is waiting for his children in another garden, the Garden of Eternity. The Bible reads in Revelation 22, verse 1 through 2, And he showed me a pure river, a water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it. And the other, either side of the river was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruit, and either fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. You see, God started with the Garden of Eden. Man fell. They were driven out. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ prayed for the sins of the world as he was about to take on the sins of mankind upon the cross of Calvary. And then at the end, God will give us another garden, a dwelling place where we could see him and where we could, where we could be with him. And all this wonderful, wonderful gift that God has given us, it's all by his grace and it's because of his salvation. Let us be grateful for that. And ladies and gentlemen, let us not forget his grace. If you have not born again, if you have not been saved, if you're in your sin, you're dying and going to hell this morning, I encourage you to receive Christ. He is freely given himself on that cross. He has freely died on that cross, and, and he shed his blood for you. Why reject his grace? Why ignore his gift? No, receive him as your personal Savior. And if you are a born-again believer, let us always rejoice that his grace is always sufficient. And let us always rejoice that our life is a gift. Our salvation is a gift. And whatever we enjoy, food and fellowship, and also even the spiritual, it's all by God's grace. Be grateful. Rejoice. Rejoice.